there are three powerful words spoken by God and his messengers throughout the pages of Scripture. And those three words are, do not fear. I invite you to say those words with me. Do not fear. Right, so you think about fear, right? An emotional response caused by the belief that someone or something it can be a danger, likely to cause us pain, or be a threat. And we have lots of sources of fears, don't we, these days? There's fear all around us. Fear is rampant. But into the, into the midst of those fears, we hear those words echoed in Scripture, echoed into our hearts and our minds today from God, saying, do not fear. Right, so we're continuing in our sermon series by that exact title, right? Do not fear. As we think about 1 John 4.18, we started last week with this incredible truth, right? This reminder that there's no fear in love, but that perfect love drives out fear. A couple verses earlier in that book of 1 John, we read that God is love. And so being that God is love, God drives out fear. He is perfect love. God drives out fear. And so we can look to Jesus for him to drive out the fears of our life because he meets us in the midst of those fears. Last week we began by looking at the hope of Christ. If you recall, we talked about what it means to get on the balcony of hope as opposed to remaining on the floor of fear. And to get on the balcony of hope, we need to look at the promises of God and looking to him for who he is and what he's done, recognizing that he's shown up in the past and he's fulfilled his promises in the past. And because of that, we can live with proper confidence in the present as we look towards an uncertain future. And in that uncertain future, believing and trusting that God will act again, always through his faithful promises. And so as we think about peace today, we're turning our focus to the peace of Christ. As we're going through the traditional themes of Advent, last week hope, today peace, next week joy and then love, leading all the way up to Christmas Eve. And my hope and prayer for you is that through this sermon series, that you will see Jesus with fresh eyes. So by the time we get to Christmas Eve, this whole place is going to explode because we're celebrating the coming of Christ and the hope that we have in him, the peace that we have in him, the joy that we have in him, and the love that we have in him. So we can't be contained that there's nothing else we'd rather do on Christmas Eve than to come and to worship him because he deserves our praise. As we just sang, because of Jesus, the darkness trembles. In this world of darkness, right, the perfect love that he has drives out fear. In this world of darkness, he who is light, the light of the world, overcomes that darkness. And so we're going to begin by looking, some wor- uh, looking at some words of Jesus, what he said about peace. Right, as he got together with his disciples one last time before going to the cross, there's a block of teaching, incredible teaching in John chapter 14 through John chapter 17. It's like the last words from the master. And in these, in these chapters, are gems and treasures from Jesus. And speaking of peace, in John 14, 27, we read this. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. All right, Jesus offered peace to his disciples. And by extension to us today as his followers, he offers us peace as well. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I don't give you peace like the world gives you. The the world could promise certain kinds of peace or maybe short-term lack of tension or the resolution of conflict. He says, no, I give you a different kind of peace. And because of that, it's like your hearts don't have to be troubled. And he says, do not be afraid. 
Or if you go a couple chapters over in chapter 16, other words from Jesus in six, John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Right? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I love Jesus' realism. Right? He's candid. He doesn't hold back and say, everything's going to be fine. Everything's easy in this real life. Follow me and you'll have an easy life. Jesus never promises an easy life. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But he says, take heart. Take heart. Why? Because he has overcome the world. Again, light has overcome darkness. And in him, perfect love drives out fear. And so as we think about these words of Jesus, it's one thing to talk about peace. It's one thing to describe peace. What does it really mean to experience the peace of Christ? It's one thing to talk about it and think about it, to acknowledge it mentally, but to actually experience it in the day-to-day our day-to-day lives, especially when we face specific fears, very real fears that God knows you have. We're human. All of us have fears. There's an uncertain future. Our our fears may be different for each of us, but we all experience fears to some capacity. So what is this peace? And what is this ultimate peace that we see? We're going to talk about today is that the ultimate peace that we can have, the peace of Christ, is actually peace with God, and how that impacts all aspects of our lives. And so before we dive into this idea of peace with God, let's go back in time and think about in the first century what they would have heard. As Jesus shared these words about peace, how would they have understood this word peace? What would have been the background in the air at that time? There's different streams of thought that would have come to the disciples at that time. First would have been the Romans and the Greeks. They would have had an idea of peace based on a state of peace, meaning that it was a time, typically the idea of peace was a time between wars. And in between wars, there was a sense of peace and that was good for the land and for people. And for this kind of peace, they looked to one person, Caesar. Right, Caesar Augustus in particular. And Augustus is the one who could bring peace. So they looked to him to bring about peace by the power of the emperor. And by the power of the emperor, he kept peace. So they looked to him as Lord. Hence they said, Caesar is Lord. That was one stream of thought that would have shaped the idea of peace. Another stream of thought that would have shaped their idea of peace would have been the Jewish or Hebrew understanding of peace. Right? The great Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness, right? flourishing, or well-being. And this comes about through specifically through relationships, and in particular, a relationship with God. And for God's people, this would have been a special relationship that would have come in the form of a covenant, right? a loving, binding relationship. And a covenant was initiated by God and upheld by God. And in the midst of this relationship, there was security. And that security would bring about space to breathe, to flourish, to have well-being, and to be whole. So God's people, the Jewish people at the time, would have thought about shalom as this wholeness and this peace. So in that time, these two streams come together. Then there's Jesus and the New Testament writers. And you'll see that whenever Jesus spoke, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here, he said. It's near, it's at hand. And this kingdom of God would have, in, would have intersected and really collided with these, these streams of thought. And in that, we see how Jesus fulfills all things. And so for Jesus, when he talked about peace, and the New Testament writers, when they reflected on the meaning and significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that peace came in the form of salvation. 
Salvation that would bring about reconciliation between God and us as human beings. And so this peace with God is the ultimate peace that Jesus is talking about. So to, to really hone in on that, what does that look like? What does that feel like? How, why does this matter? We're going to look at two verses in the New Testament today. We're going to camp out on two verses in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Right In this letter right, to the Christians in Rome in the first century, Paul writes this, and in the middle we'll see a description of peace. He writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, I haven't done this in my short time with you, but I feel led to pray for us before we dive into these next verses because there is some serious good news in these verses. So let me pray for us. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is powerful and the truths are life-changing. God, meet us with your perfect love, grace, and truth, truth right now through these verses. Open up our hearts. Help us, including me, to slow down and to go through these verses and to mine the treasures of the gospel. Lord, may this impact us in a way, Lord, which only you can through your good news, the good news of your son. Here we are, Lord, speak. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna read these two verses again. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Those three words in this passage are powerful. Peace with God. I invite you to say those words with me. Peace with God. Right, these three words are powerful. And they're described by three throughs in these two verses. We're going to look at each of the throughs to bring to light what this peace with God is. The first one we're going to consider is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right in the middle he says, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For peace with God, for us to have peace with God, this comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Each of those words matter. Right? When you study scripture, when you read scripture, slow down, look at every single word. Here he says, through our, our. This is personal. This is a personal connection. This is not an intellectual exercise, not the Lord, our Lord. Paul's reminding them this is a personal connection to Jesus, our. Then he says Lord. Lord meaning he's in charge. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Caesar's not Lord, nor is anyone or anything else. Jesus is in charge. He's the master. He's Lord. He has the first and final word in our lives. And then Christ, meaning the Messiah, the promised Savior. Peace with God comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first through to consider. Earlier, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, the second through is justified through faith. Now, the word justified is a big theological word of the New Testament. Right? To be justified means to be declared innocent, like being in a court of law where the gavel comes down and the, and the person is declared innocent. To be justified means to be before God and to be declared innocent. And to be justified, how does this happen? It comes through faith. But let's not move too quickly to the through faith. He says, therefore, since we have been 
justified. If through Jesus Christ we are justified, meaning declared innocent, the assumption is that we're guilty. What? Why? Us? Guilty? Right? Don't we live in a world where, don't tell us bad stuff. I don't want any guilt or shame. Like, I, I just, I want good self-esteem. Don't say bad stuff about me. Isn't that the world we live in these days? It's true. But here is some bad news. If we need to be justified, that means we are guilty. So why are we guilty? Right? We're guilty because all of us in some form or fashion break the law, God's laws. Right? He's laid out his laws for us in Scripture. Not rules to, 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 that are heart, heartless rules, but a way of life that's best for us from a loving father. But as rebellious children, we say no. Right? We've all been rebellious, rebellious children. If we have children or grandchildren, we've seen rebellious. We're all rebellious in some way. We're human. We've all said no to God in some way. Therefore, we're guilty. And when you're guilty of breaking God's laws, the penalty is a broken relationship with God, which is separation from God both now and forever. Right? That's the bad news. Now, if I didn't bring that to you, I would be like a bad doctor, right? If you go to the doctor, you want an honest diagnosis. You don't want the doctor, if something's really wrong with you, saying, oh, you're fine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you feel good today. Just, you're doing great. Your health is perfect. If you've got a terminal, if you've got a terminal diagnosis, or if you've got something very serious, you want that doctor to tell you the truth. Well, the ultimate physician, God, through his word, tells us the truth. And when you hear the truth, you can then get the right help. And the right help comes through the ultimate physician, Jesus Christ. Here he says, you have been justified, meaning you've been declared innocent. That means first, you're guilty. But he doesn't leave us there. You've been, he says, you can be declared innocent through faith. Faith, which is not just a, a set of ideas, but it's really trusting in the trustworthiness of Jesus. To trusting who he is, what he's done, what he's accomplished for us. As we trust and believe in the trustworthiness of Jesus, as we rest and lean our life on him and him alone, then through that, the, this amazing truth comes that we are declared innocent. The gavel comes down. And instead of us getting the guilty verdict, we receive an innocent verdict. And this comes as a gift from God. It's his grace. That Jesus, who lived the perfect life we couldn't live, right, died a death that we deserved. And because he died the death that we deserved, he alone could say, give them an innocent verdict. I'll take the guilty verdict. And if we believe that to be true, we are justified through that faith. That's the second through. The last through is towards the end of, uh, it starts in verse two, right? We are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We've gained access to this grace. What's this grace? This grace is peace with God, but it's more than just an innocent verdict. And this is where it becomes a lot better than just a, a distant judge saying, you're innocent. The beautiful picture is we gained access to this grace. Peace with God means that we gain access into the family of God. We're adopted into God's family. He's not just a distant judge. That judge says innocent and then says, come with me. And he's not just a judge, he's a king. And just like being outside of a palace as a child, he brings us like a child into the palace and says, now you're my child. And no longer are you an enemy. No longer are you forgotten. You are part of my family. So when we have peace with God, we are received into God's family forever. And notice how it says, it says, this is into this grace in which we now 
stand. Where we stand is secure. Where we stand is firm. Where we stand is based on Jesus. And this impacts us right here, right now. Let me say that again. It impacts us right here and right now. In Christ, we have peace with God. Now hear this. We have declared war by our rebellious lives. But God has declared peace through his son. Right? Let me say that again. We have declared war by our rebellious lives. But God has declared peace through his son. Two great words of scripture. But God. Say those words with me. But God. God interrupts our stories. God interrupts the stream of, of where our lives are going. But God God interrupts. It may sound harsh in our 21st century ears that we have declared war on God by our rebellious lives, but that's the honest diagnosis. But the good news of the Bible and of Jesus and of Christianity is that God has declared peace through his son. And so we look to him for that peace. This can and should change anything, change everything. Right? Throughout the history of humanity, throughout your life story, we've seen how human beings long, they long for love. They long for acceptance. They long for security. And human beings will do anything for that, won't we? For love, for acceptance, and for security. And we'll look to all kinds of places for that love and that acceptance and that security. God says, you can go everywhere, but come home to me. Come to me. I'll give you perfect love. I'll give you perfect acceptance. I'll give you perfect security. Don't look to Caesar. Don't look to political parties. Don't look to anything else. Look to me. God says. We have the peace of Christ. And in light of that, this peace therefore drives out fear. As we have peace with God, it drives out fear. Drives out fear. So what fear does the peace of Christ drive out? I want us to think of, consider three big fears today in light of this. If this is all true, if through faith in Christ, if we put our trust in the trustworthiness of Jesus and we're welcomed into the family of the king and we have a safe and secure relationship with him, what does that drive out? First, it drives out the ultimate fear, the fear of death. The fear of death. Right, just yesterday, right, with Colleen, we led a memorial service for Marianne Harrigo. And just that reminder yesterday, that death in Jesus Christ does not have the final word. We need to hear that every single day as we face the reality that we are not going to live forever. And different people have different levels of fear about death. But as we consider that step that will come to each and every single one of us at some point, in Christ, we do not have to fear death. As we have peace with Christ, as we are in God's family, we know that death is not the end. That death is just the step into being in God's perfect presence forever. Where we read in Scripture, every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. All suffering will be gone. The endless strivings of this world will cease. We can be in the presence of God. The most beautiful picture of heaven in the Bible is a wedding banquet, a big party where people are together. You can just cast off all the responsibilities and just be with one another in the presence of God. That is the joy that's before us. But yeah, death is sad. It involves loss and grief and loss of what has been here on earth. But it doesn't have to control us. We can cast out the ultimate fear of death because we know we have peace with God in Christ. 
We could also cast out the fear of punishment, of punishment. I shared last week one of my earliest fears in life was the fear of my parents when I got into trouble. Those words from my mom, right? Just wait till your dad gets home, right? In many ways, that, those were like little judgment days, right? Here it comes. What's gonna happen? What's he gonna say? What's my punishment? I mean, if I had a phone back then, it'd be gone for weeks. No, but the fact that like, what, whatever the punishment was then, it came. Do you know, and this is a hard truth, that every single one of us are gonna have to give an account of our lives to God? Everything we've ever done, right? It's spoken of multiple times in the New Testament that as we, when we die, we will stand before God and have to give an account of our lives. I know for me, based on my life, if I had to live on my own record and my own efforts, that would bring a lot of fear before a holy God, a God who's perfect. Though God may be loved, the fact is that he's perfect. And for me, as I think about even those little judgment days when I was a child, just that taste of facing the potential punishment when I did wrong points to the ultimate fear of facing God. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to fear punishment. In fact, 1 John 4, 18, the, the latter part of the verse when it says perfect love drives out fear, it says because fear has to do with punishment. We don't have to fear any punishment because the gavel has come down. If we've put our faith in Jesus Christ and we are justified, we're declared innocent and God the Father sees us like Jesus in his perfect righteousness. We don't have to fear punishment. What that exactly looks like, I'm not sure. My sense is that we'll still have to give an account of our life. And then if you're like me, I tend to beat myself up. and I'm like, oh my goodness, look at all the times that I let you down, God. And God's gonna say, it's been taken care of. Look at Jesus, he took care of it. Go, party. Go to the party, you're fine. We don't have to fear punishment when we have peace with God. Lastly, and this is more in the here and now, is we don't, we can, perfect love, Jesus can cast out rejection, the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection. Follow me on this. If we truly believe to the core of our being that we've been loved and accepted by God, then we don't have to look anywhere else or to anyone else for that love and acceptance. Now again, we're human. We're gonna do it. That's just part of life. But ultimately, if we could wake up every single day and know, God, you love me. You've accepted me. I have all my value and worth in you and you alone. Then when criticisms and or things that go wrong, or you let people down, and just that, that horrible feeling. We don't have to fear that. We don't have to fear rejection, because we've been accepted by God. And what's interesting is once you lean into that, and you lean into that acceptance of God, it allows us to relax around other people and actually become more acceptable. Isn't it true? When we're really tense, it's, it's easier for people to push us away. But when we relax, those relationships open up. God offers us the peace of Christ. And that peace of Christ is, is peace with God that impacts all aspects of our relationship. So going back to verse two in Roman, Romans five, it's a grace that we could stand on. We know where we stand with God because of Jesus. Right? I think about years ago, Laurie and I, when we were dating and then we became more serious and moved towards engagement and then even towards marriage, we had multiple conversations which back then it was called a DTR. Anyone know what that stands for? Define the relationship. And we had multiple DTRs along the way. We had to ask, where do we stand? I would, she, Lori wanted to know, where do I stand? I want to know, where do you stand? And we'd ask each other, where do we stand? DTR, we had, all those, we had the define the relationship conversations. It's a horrible feeling when you don't know where you stand with another person. 
and when there's angst in the relationship or uncertainty. Isn't that true? We all want to know where we stand. I think that in the root and the core of how God's designed us is that we want to know where we stand with him. We long to know that we're loved. We long to know that we're accepted. And when we know where we stand with God, the Father Almighty, we can then relax and love others more deeply and receive love from others because he has given us the ultimate DTR in his son. Again, we've declared war by our rebellious lives, but he declared peace through his son, Jesus Christ. So as we think about this, I want to give you one thing to remember, one thing to do, and a couple of questions to go deeper into this this week. One thing to remember is this, the peace of Christ drives out our fears as we learn to confidently stand in our relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Right? This peace of Christ drives out fear. We have to learn. It's a process. That's why it's discipleship, learning. Learning over time to stand on that relationship. What's one thing to do? In light of the fears I asked you to list out last week, to go back to them and now identify a specific fear that the peace of Christ can push against or drive out in light of our fully restored relationship with God. Right? Or maybe it's one of the fears I listed today, fear of death, fear of punishment, fear of rejection. And really let these truths sink in and say, ask and pray, God, knowing that I know where I stand with you, how can, I, how can that push out fear in my life? Some questions for reflection. How does the Bible's definition of peace differ from the definition that it merely is the absence of conflict? How is the biblical definition different? Number two, where do you feel insecure in your relationship with God and others, and what fears come from this? Really slow down on this question and think about how there's an insecurity with God, how that can have its way out in other relationships. Number three, how can you ask God to help you let the peace of Christ push against and drive out fear in your life? Imagine what this could look like if we really experience the peace of Christ, which comes from peace with God, that can, that can impact all of our relationships, and to let God drive out those fears, whether it's of death, of punishment, of rejection, and other fears that we have as well. Let me pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we look to you for this perfect peace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that though we turned away from you, Lord, and declared war on you with our lives, God, you have declared peace through your Son. I pray for each person who's heard this message, if they've never heard this before, God, that they would be willing to pursue what this means in their life. For others who have heard it, Lord, that you would allow them to be refreshed and renewed and strengthened. God, you've given us the promise of your peace. Help us to embrace that peace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.